Hello, Julia. Hello. So today I thought we would talk a little bit about one of the most famous Wisconsinites of all time, Frank Lloyd Wright. Specifically, I thought we could explore one of his perhaps lesser known projects that he designed and were built right here in Milwaukee. Sounds good. I'm pretty sure that most of our listeners are familiar with who Frank Lloyd Wright was and some of the iconic buildings that he designed over his incredibly long and active career, such as Falling Water in Pennsylvania, the Guggenheim in New York, Taliesin in Spring Green, and both Wingspread and the SC Johnson Wax headquarters down in Racine. I do find it interesting and a little bit surprising, however, that despite being from Wisconsin, and with Milwaukee being the biggest city in Wisconsin, Wright only designed and completed a handful of building projects here in Milwaukee. One of those projects was a series of what he called American system-built homes that were built on Milwaukee's near south side. But before we get into this Milwaukee-based project, let's take a brief look at Frank Lloyd Wright's early life and his career. Frank Lloyd Wright was born in Richland Center, Wisconsin in 1867. His father was a musician, educator, and a preacher. He was initially a Baptist, but switched to Unitarian after marrying Frank's mother, Anna. Anna was a rural school teacher and was born into the Lloyd-Jones clan that had emigrated to southeast, southwest Wisconsin from Wales. According to Wright's autobiography, he was somewhat destined to become an architect. Even before his birth, his mother declared that her first child would grow up to build beautiful buildings. And when he was born, his mother decorated Frank's nursery with prints of English cathedrals for inspiration and provided young Frank with plenty of building blocks to practice his future profession. As a young man, Frank Lloyd Wright attended Madison High School and then took a couple semesters classes at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where he, founded, where he focused on engineering. He also joined the Phi Delta Theta fraternity. However, Wright left UW-Madison without obtaining a degree and set his sights on more immediate opportunities in Chicago. So I grew up in Madison. That's right. And a lot of people ask, like, what is this Madison High? Because they know about Frank Lloyd Wright. And it's not, it doesn't exist anymore. It didn't become one of the other high schools. So it didn't become East or West? No, not Memorial. It just closed. Um, But what I love is that um, Georgia O'Keeffe is another attendee and oh, really? from Madison High School. That's yeah, very cool. I thought so, too. So in 1888, after knocking around for a while at various firms, he landed a job as a draftsman for the architectural firm of Adler and Sullivan. He was hired specifically to make the finished drawings for the interior of their spectacular and landmark auditorium building. On Michigan Ave. Yes, the one on Michigan. Nice. Wright did well at the firm, and he got along particularly well with Louis Sullivan. Sullivan soon became probably the one and only person that could ever be called Frank Lloyd Wright's mentor. Wright went so far as to refer to Sullivan as his Liebermeister, or dear master in German. In return, Sullivan gave Wright the responsibility of head draftsman at the firm, and he was put in charge of all residential design at the office. Wright and Sullivan even signed a five-year contract for Wright to work at the firm. With an added $5,000 loan that Wright had asked Sullivan to throw in so that he and his new wife, Catherine, could build a new house together. Well, if you know anything about Frank Lloyd Wright at all, you probably know that he struggled for his entire life with how to budget his finances, Mm -hmm. which is putting it probably politely. Yeah, I would agree. (laughs) So already at the age of 21 or 22, he was constantly short on money, despite his respectable salary 
and the loan that Louis Sullivan had given him. In later years, Wright freely admitted that his poorly managed finances may have had something to do with his expensive taste in clothes, cars, and the many extra luxuries that he designed into and decorated his house with. Yeah, so rather than buy the Toyota, you know, buy the Porsche instead. Of course. Yeah. So to make ends meet, he was forced to take independent or moonlit commissions on the side. At the time, Wright claimed that he simply didn't know that accepting independent commissions was a violation of his contract with Sullivan and Adler. When in doubt, play down. Yeah. So in 1893, Sullivan became aware of those houses when he was on a walk right near his own home and noticed that a new house under construction, one that looked remarkably similar to at least one that his employee Frank Lloyd Wright had designed. Well, sure enough, Frank's mood lighting was discovered and he and Sullivan had a bit of a falling out. Wright was fired for being in breach of his contract and the two of them didn't speak to one another for over a dozen years. Wright then founded his own successful firm and he designed many homes in and around the northern suburbs of Chicago. Most of his clients were very well off and with deep pockets, so they could afford to build these large custom-built homes. So from the late 1890s well into the 19-teens, Wright probably became best known for the style of architecture that he himself was the originator and inventor, and that was the prairie style. The design of these prairie houses emphasized strong horizontal lines, which complemented the geography in and around Chicago and the Midwest in general. Prairie houses were typically one or two stories with one-story projections. They had open floor plans, a revolutionary idea at the time, and low-pitched hip roofs, which featured broad overhanging eaves or cantilevers. They had ribbons or bays of casement windows usually had a prominent central hearth and chimney, had built-in cabinetry and furniture, and emphasized the use of natural materials, such as stone and wood. The goal, for lack of a better term, was for Wright to provide his clients with a complete environment for them to live in. It would be an environment that included not only the house, but matching stained glass windows, or glass screens, as Wright called them, all the furniture, all the lighting fixtures, all the rugs, and the entire color, color palette of the house, which Wright said should emphasize colors that come from the woods and not from the ribbon counter at Marshall Fields. And I would add, not just the contents, but the location of the contents within. Yes, there are stories of him actually putting things back where he thought they should be, yes. much to the chagrin of the owners themselves, but yeah. Like pulling out the gift once a year for the person who's coming to visit you and then <laughs> putting it away. <laughs> exactly. So some of the more famous examples of Wright's prairie style are the Roby, Coomley, Boynton, Martin, and Winslow houses, as well as his own home and studio, Taliesin, in Spring Green, Wisconsin. So we could go on and on about the prairie style, but what it probably most represents and what is most important is that it was arguably the first true American style of architecture. Mm -hmm. Up until then, American architects had been mimicking and copying all sorts of mostly European architectural styles like Gothic Revival, French Empire, Georgian, Neoclassical, and Italianate. Even the modern and extremely popular craftsmen or arts and crafts style of the day had originated in England, not America. 
To make a pretty long story relatively short, it was at this time in his life that Frank Lloyd Wright was as successful as he had ever been, but he soon chose to make his life extremely complicated. In 1903, Wright was commissioned by businessman and Oak Park neighbor, Edwin Cheney, to design a new house for him and his family. While working on the house, Wright began to fall for his client's wife, Mama Borthwick Cheney. Well, the two of them fell in love, and in 1909, they picked up and they both left their spouses and their children behind. They ended up running off to Europe to escape the scandal and the negative press that went along with their affair. Frank and Mama decided to stay in Europe for a while, at least until the heat in the affair died down. So while in Europe, Wright produced and promoted a portfolio of 100 lithographs of his most significant works to that date, which was called the Wasmuth Portfolio. Today, this portfolio is now seen as a significant link between Wright's pioneering American architecture and the first generation of European modernist architects. In fact, Wright's portfolio is said, is said to have influenced some of the most important European modernists, including none other than Le Corbusier, Mies van der Rohe, and Walter Gropius. When Wright and Cheney returned to the U.S., Wright chose to avoid Chicago altogether, and they set up shop in the small Wisconsin town of Spring Green. They had hoped that their new home and studio that Frank designed in Taliesin would serve as a hideaway from the scandal. Well, unfortunately, the scandal hadn't gone away, and they continued to follow the couple. Wright had difficulty obtaining new commissions, the local press branded the new house the Castle of Love or the Love Bungalow, and not all of the new neighbors were so welcoming. In fact, the superintendent of the local schools told a local newspaper reporter that, quote, the scandal is bound to have a demoralizing effect on the school children of the community. It's an outrage to allow young men and women and boys and girls to grow up in the belief that a man and woman can go disregarding their marriage bonds. But, of course, Wright didn't really care much for standard norms or conventions regarding marriage or relationships or really anything else. His response was that, was that, quote, two women were necessary for a man of artistic mind, one to be the mother of his children and the other to be his mental companion, his inspiration and soulmate. Um, incidentally, on a spite, his wife Catherine wouldn't grant him a divorce until 1922. Probably serves him right. And so it was at this point that Wright came to the realization that he needed to shore up his social reputation, pay off his debts, and bring in additional revenue to support his lifestyle, his mistress, and his new studio. A Milwaukee-based builder named Arthur L. Richards and another partner named John Williams approached Wright and hired him to design a brand new luxury hotel in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, called the Lake Geneva Hotel, which was located where the Geneva Towers condominiums are today. The hotel was completed in 1912, and it had all the hallmarks of Wright's prairie design, a low two-story horizontal building that was intended to blend in with the natural environment and the lakefront. The interior featured a large central hearth, tulip stained glass windows, large skylights, oak trim, delicate shades of green and brown, and custom-designed electric light fixtures throughout the hotel. For the era, it was cutting edge and top of the line. Arthur L. Richards was not your ordinary builder. He was one of Milwaukee's most prominent and prolific builders in Milwaukee, 
He promoted himself as a real estate broker, builder, and developer who regularly built over 40 homes in any given year. His advertisements boasted that because he was buying 40 times as much construction material as the man building his own house, the prices he paid were so low that they would startle the average man. In addition to low prices for raw materials, he also bought real estate in bulk, further reducing the overall costs. But wait, there's more. He also had his own army of carpenters, electricians, plumbers, and masons, all of which allowed him to give you the lowest price with a guarantee of no overruns, and still allowed Richards to make a fair profit. It wasn't long after the Lake Geneva Hotel was completed that Wright and Richards started to hatch a plan that would complement their skills and profit them both. That plan was for a series of affordable, middle-class houses designed by Wright and manufactured by Richards, something they called the American System Built Homes. According to Wright, the idea for the design of an affordable middle-class home had been something he'd been thinking about for a long time. Yes, most of his previous clients could afford whatever money could buy, but the challenge of creating a well-designed house for Americans of average income was something he had always wanted to take on. By the 19-teens, a number of factors, including demographics, technology, and economics, were combining to change the very concept of what a middle-class home should be. And coincidentally, many of these changes played right into the concepts and designs that Wright had pioneered with his prairie-style homes, particularly open floor plans for family gathering. Middle-class homes were actually getting smaller than they had been in prior to the turn of the century. For one thing, people were having fewer children, and as a result, smaller families than they had in the previous century. A second reason why houses were becoming smaller was to compensate for the added expenses of built-in plumbing, heating, and lighting. In addition, single-purpose rooms like parlors, drawing rooms, sitting rooms, music rooms, and sewing rooms were seen as old-fashioned and were rapidly becoming obsolete. And lastly, basic economics were phasing out the use of domestic servants by middle-class families. American system-built homes were to be pre-cut and pre-packaged houses that you purchased out of a catalog through an authorized dealer of Wright and Richards. Each and every base model and then variations or options were to be designed by Frank Lloyd Wright and every piece of construction material was to be pre-cut and packaged for delivery at Richard's dedicated factory here in Milwaukee, which reduced both waste and overall labor costs. Wright and his studio designed about 12 basic home models, most of which were designed in his distinctive prairie style. The basic models range from a one-story, one-bedroom called the B1 model, to two-bedroom bungalows, the C3 model, up to a three-story, five-bedroom house called the E3. They also offered duplexes, the C and F models, and at least one apartment building design. Incidentally, we should mention that local architect Russell Barr Williamson was an instrumental member of Wright's studio team on the project. Any one of the basic homes could also be customized with different variations and options to make a total of over 80 different combinations. For instance, each base model could have a flat roof, a gable roof, or a hipped roof. Interiors could be trimmed in a number of different woods, and you had your choice of lighting fixtures and kitchen modules. And despite Wright's usual aversion to basements or garages, buyers could get both. 
In other words, you were getting a Frank Lloyd Wright designed home that you could customize to your liking in a number of ways, but at an affordable price. The least expensive design was the B1, starting at $2,750, or about $56,000 today. And the larger home started around $5,000, but could go much higher. Of course, that affordable price meant you, that you were working out of a catalog with Wright's drawings, and you never actually met with Frank Lloyd Wright himself. And none of your customized touches could go outside of exactly what was designed by Wright and what was actually in the catalog. So in other words, there were no change orders. Seems very unright-like. Well, I mean, it was probably Richard's idea. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> in today's world, it'd be kind of like buying a giant piece of IKEA furniture. Yeah. All the pieces needed to build an entire house would be packaged and shipped from the Milwaukee factory by rail to whatever town in America you lived in. Right. Every two-by-six stud, floorboard, shingle, window, door, plaster, paint, nail and screw was included, which would then be construction, constructed at your building site by an authorized American systems builder in your area. Keep in mind that the concept of buying a home out of a catalog wasn't exactly a new idea. Americans have been able to buy arts and crafts style bungalow kits through Sears and Roebuck catalog and others like Aladdin Homes for a number of years. What was different with the American system built homes was that you were getting a house that was actually designed by a famous architect. No, you were getting a complete home designed by the superstar architect of the day and at a fixed cost, which truly was something rarely seen in any Frank Lloyd Wright project. Wright and his students at the Taliesin studio threw themselves at the project and produced 966 drawings for all the various house combinations. That's more drawings than for any other single project in Wright's entire career. The homes were both attractive and innovative at the same time. One particular innovation of Wright's was to design the house to be built with 24 inch on center studs instead of the usual 16. 24 inch studs allowed large casement windows to be installed in, in between the studs with no need for cutting and framing the windows which of course cut down on costs. Like many Wright designs, the American Systems homes featured open floor plans, central fireplaces, employed the use of compression and expansion, and had a fluid connection to the outdoors. Even the smallest model, the B1, managed to fit 33 windows into just an 800 square foot house. That's amazing. Yeah. Another innovation was the new type of exterior stucco that was supposedly designed for cold weather climates called Elastica. Again, it was an attempt to cut down on labor and materials costs. Wright and Richards had high hopes for their home building and business. They signed a contract that gave Wright roughly $225 in royalties per house, and they estimated that at a minimum, they'd build around 225 houses a year, which would net Wright annual royalties of just over $50,000 a year or just over $1 million per year in today's dollars. So Wright was really excited about this project. Yeah, clearly. Contingencies from the contract were made for licensing and shipping prepackaged homes to Canada, Mexico, and even Europe if there was enough demand. The royalty schedule went so far as to suggest they might sell tens of thousands of houses a year. This was going to be by far the most successful project of Frank Lloyd Wright's career. 
So in the summer of 1916, at the corner of Layton Boulevard and Burnham Street on the south side of Milwaukee, Wright and Richards built six model homes that took up the entire city block to advertise their new venture. The site featured four duplexes and two single-family bungalows. Do you know uh, that site wasn't special for any reason? They just kind of picked it? Or... What I do know in my reading and poking around is that that neighborhood in particular uh, had just recently begun uh, converting from vegetable farms oh, sure. to neighborhoods. Okay. So my guess is that that specific spot was available and it was affordable. Right. And offered them the ability to build six right next to yep. each other. Not a lot of finagling. Yep. You can see all of them right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they also put in place over a dozen licensed dealers for American system built homes. And they began placing advertisements in Milwaukee and Chicago newspapers. One such advertisement from the March 4th, 1917 edition of the Chicago Tribune stated, quote, the American system of home building enables you to secure homes correct and charming in design, perfect in taste, and intelligent in arrangement, putting at your command the services of Frank Lloyd Wright, America's foremost creative architect, without extra cost. Unfortunately, just as Wright and Richards were ready to provide the American masses with their new high-quality but affordable homes, the U.S. started preparing for war. And with only a number of months, the U.S. formally entered World War I in the spring of 1917. As a result, nearly all building materials were diverted from civilian use to military use to build up the armed forces to go to war with Germany. Wartime inflation set in. Applications for building permits collapsed, the housing market crashed, and so too did the hopes for the success of the American system-built homes. In the end, only about 20 known American system homes were ever built anywhere. Nine of the 20 were built right here in Milwaukee. There are the six models on Burnham. Mm -hmm. There's one on Newton Avenue in Shorewood. Okay. Uh, two apartment buildings were built on the corner of 27th and Highland. Okay. Uh, but those were demolished in 1973 to make the streets wider. Sure. And then the others are scattered around the upper Midwest in Madison, Oshkosh, Indiana, Iowa, and there's a handful in Illinois as well. Okay. So today, if you're interested in this particular piece of Frank Lloyd Wright history and architecture, you can always drive by or walk by the original six models at the corner of Layton and Burnham anytime you want. Yeah. And if you want to learn more and actually tour a couple of the houses, on the Burnham block, mm -hmm. go to the website writeinmilwaukee.com for more information on their efforts to preserve and restore these houses and to get the details on tour dates. And I will say, um, often they're part of doors open. Absolutely. Block. And in general, these are not large houses. No. So the tour groups are fairly small. So generally, if people ask, we always encourage um, plan ahead. They usually only do them on Saturdays. It's been typical, um, and the capacity of the groups isn't large. so Right, but they're well worth taking oh, a visit. Oh, definitely. Very interesting. Yeah. So just to go back a little bit, we obviously know like World War One occurred, it ended, and they could have just picked up all the pieces and kind of gotten back to it, but they don't. Right. So, yeah, the economy did get back to normal after 1918. Right. But just as their grandiose plans for hundreds or thousands of homes fell apart, so too did their personal relationship. Ah. 
And Another in, not yes. surprise. <laughs> and in the end, the lawsuits got thrown around and they both needed lawyers to iron out their differences. Uh, it said that Wright never even mentioned the American system built homes ever again. Uh, and Richards went his own way and stayed in the building and real estate business until he retired uh, quite comfortably, I might add, in 1949. Well, with his entrepreneurial spirit. You know what I think is interesting? Because obviously we get lots of people who come to Milwaukee and sort of have the same reaction you do. But Wright's from Wisconsin. Why aren't there more? There's not enough. There's no more. There's nothing. There's other than the system built, there's the church and then the two private homes. It's a pretty small list. Um, but it's not just this like pl like plan. It's sort of like think of the world domination of the house type that they're taught. Like how different the landscape would be if it had actually succeeded. Oh, absolutely. It's I mean, I, I mean, if you go in particularly the B1 model yeah. on Burnham, it is a tiny house. Tiny. But it feels bigger than it is. Yeah. It's really a comfortable house. And yeah, I, I, it, it's remarkable. Yeah. You kind of wonder even if it had made it, limped along, but made it to, well, I don't know, because they have made it through the Depression. But the the housing boom after World War II is yeah, even bigger. Well, well, yeah. Throughout the 1920s, 20s was a huge, yeah. yeah. But I'm, you know, thinking about. I mean, think, think, if, think if, you know, if you saw all those, like, typical Milwaukee or Chicago or Cleveland bungalows with yeah. the jerk and head roofs. Yeah. Imagine them all being right designed. That's what I'm thinking, though. Like, small bungalows. If, they, if they'd survived the First World War and then even built a couple it, thousand, it, and it then could, the influence of that. You're right. It, it could have changed. The, it literally could have changed the landscape. Of our entire country. Yeah. And it's interesting too, you know, not a ton of people, if they're newer to Franklin Wright, they kind of, you know, they know Oak Park or, or some of his more landmark, you know, the Unitarian Church in Madison, but his work on Usonian houses and this sort of ideal living model is... An idea he came back to yeah, again yeah. later in his life. And it it's very different from this um, in the general sense of like how this was organized, but doesn't have that same, like the Richards component doesn't mm -hmm. exist. But ideal living, idealized living. Because again, a lot of those projects on a one-off, one mm -hmm. they always seem to like exceed their budgets. Yep, definitely. Several times over. And so it's interesting. You had the right influence, mm -hmm. and Richards kept it. He kept it in line, in line as far as costs. Yeah. Something that it seems like nobody else ever nobody did else with him. Did. No. Mm -mm. Not the Johnson family down in Racine. No, nobody. I mean, no one. And I, you know, it's interesting the the idea that the catalog was the limits of your change order or you know like your improvements or your tweaks i wonder how hard he must have fought that because that's just against his whole yeah i wouldn't be great to be to fly on the yeah, wall to watch sure. them see this in it, see this out. process <laughs> and how it turned out and, yeah. and in fact the illustrations of these models yeah. are beautiful in and of themselves i mean yeah. they're worthy of being put up on the wall as just as catalog pieces yeah, yeah. it's great well, I love this story, and we highly encourage you to tour. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it's just, it's a very, and then, I, you know, we both have been there, so we're both like, oh, marveling at what could have been. And I think the tour, this does a really good job, but I think walking through makes you sort of think, oh, really, what could have been? What could have been, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, thanks, Julia. Thanks. Thanks.